Well, I am just delighted that you're back with me as we consider this study in Ephesians, this magnificent letter of Paul to the Ephesians. I want to start today by saying that the average Christian is rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what that sounds like. That sounds like I'm some kind of a word of faith or health and wealth and prosperity gospel preacher. And trust me, I am not. Part of the problem we have today is the average genuine Christian, the person who is in Christ, who is sober-minded about their faith, is living far below what God would have them to experience in their relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, primarily because they're hesitant to identify themselves as being rich in Christ or blessed in Christ or um, having uh, a sense of um, of well-being even in Christ because they don't want to be um, even appear to be one of these charismatic fanatics. Uh, one of these people who are uh, really uh, likely not even regenerate people. I mean, and I say that with with grief and and compassion. I don't say that with with um, uh, arrogance or or bitterness. Uh, but these these this movement, this health, wealth, and prosperity movement, this word of faith movement, is a cheap counterfeit, a satanic, demonic, cheap counterfeit for genuine wealth that we have in Christ. And so it's my burden uh, in these series of messages from Ephesians to help convey to you what Paul is saying in this letter that is such benefit to you. His, His language is so beautiful, it's so powerful, it's so expressive, and it all has to do with who you are in Christ and to elevate your mind, and to enlighten your mind, as he said. Uh, Just for example, just to remind you, in chapter 1 alone, we learn that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In verse 4, we learn that we have uh, been chosen in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that you are holy and without blame before him in love that you are predestined to the adoption as a son by Jesus Christ to himself, that you are accepted in the beloved, that you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We learn that God has made known to you the mystery of his will in Christ, and that in him you have an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've learned that we've heard and we believed and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise as God's own possession awaiting the time of our full redemption to be realized at Christ's return. That is the redemption of our bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. So we have all of this in the now. These, this is your position and that grace and peace is God's settled stance towards you. There's never a time where God does not view you in grace and peace. Having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. And so we are able to develop peace with ourselves, internal peace, and then 
peace in our relationships as well. So these are all the things that, that are yours in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you to try to compartmentalize this Word of Faith movement, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, as a heresy. It's a counterfeit. It's a cheap counterfeit. Set it aside and then reframe your understanding of yourself in Christ based upon what Paul is saying in this letter. Now today, I want to talk with you about uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read it from the New English Translation, and uh, so let's get started there. Quote, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet, and gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. End quote. Well, having learned how greatly we are blessed in chapter 1, uh, in the first 14 verses here, Paul is now going to continue his lavish praise of, on God and his the wonderful encouragement to us who are in Christ of just what it means that we are in Christ positionally. And then we'll learn later on in this letter how it is that we are to work that out so that it's experiential in our daily lives. Let me say that again. The first part of this letter to the Ephesians is to remind you of your wealth that you have in Jesus Christ. You're standing with the Father, not just as a forgiven sinner, though that you are, but you are an adopted child. You are in him, in Christ, that you have this standing with the Father, that you are in the family of God now. You have an inheritance in Christ. So Paul is really pressing here. He really wants these people, his readers, and you and I today to understand the wonders and the awe and the glory of the wealth, the spiritual wealth, the relational health, and the joy that we have of being in Christ. You can see already why when I use words like uh, riches and wealth that uh, you you might immediately assume that I am some kind of a prosperity preacher. And I'm as I say, I'm certainly not. On the other hand, I am a prosperity preacher 
based upon biblical definition of wealth. So what God wants for you, my brother and sister, is that you enjoy the status that you have because you're in Christ, that you enjoy health in your relationships, that you understand what God has done on your behalf in his son. And that's Paul's prayer for you. Paul's prayer is that he, and by the way, it is a prayer that he never ceases to pray. This is a good prayer that you would want to incorporate into your daily daily prayer life. Pray this for your loved ones, your children, your spouse, and for yourself. Do not cease to give thanks. Do not cease to pray that God, uh, our, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. See, this is important point to note right here. The Christian is, is in a position of growing knowledge, growing understanding, the better knowing God the Father in Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are to grow. For the last 200 years, evangelicalism and their retail evangelism has pretty much saved, well, you know, you get saved and behave. Their growth and development and maturity in Christ have been set aside in favor of you getting you to close the deal with the evangelist by saying a simple prayer, and then you're in. And very little, if no effort, has been put forth to help you understand, now that you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. And even more importantly, how to work that out into your life so it's experiential for you. It breaks my heart as a pastoral counselor that I'd have to say nearly all the people I meet with, all of my counseling clients, are living far below what God would have for them in his son. Most are genuine Christians who have just not been taught in their lives, their mood, their relationships, all look like it. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, once cried out, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that is true today as well. So you see, in Paul's prayer here, there are three things that he really wants for us to, to grasp. And that is the hope of our calling, the wealth of of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the power toward us who believe. You have hope today. God has saved you, not because of anything that you have done. And as I said earlier, he has adopted you into his family. He has united you with his son. If you are in Christ, you are in union with Jesus Christ. And all that he is, and all that is his, is yours as well. That's your hope. And your hope has not yet been fully realized. We are in this now and not yet state. You will never be any more reconciled with the Father and any more 
united with Jesus Christ than you are in this moment. But you will have a greater realization of it on a progressive basis between now and the time the Lord comes back or you go to be with him. And there will be one day when that will be fully realized, fully perfected. Listen, the outcome of the Christian life is to be fully perfected in the image of Christ. That's what God's up to. God is working in you to completely perfect you into the image of his Son so that you are just like Jesus in thought, word, deed, and character, and that you experience all that is his as a son with the Father is yours as well. That's the wealth of this glorious inheritance that you have in God's holy people. And then this power, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Listen, in the last days, we're going to have a powerless church. It'd be big on routine, big on liturgy, big on ritual, big on entertainment, but powerless to transform you. Let me just share with you what I mean. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, Second Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days, difficult or perilous times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 in the New English Translation. And then he had, so avoid people like these. Listen, that's what he's describing there is the church of the last days, a powerless church that looks just like the world in its character. It has all the trappings, all the structure of a church, but it's people in their character, in their values, in their actions, in their deeds, look no different than the world. One of the things that's happened in the last 200 years is that we have been so anxious to reach the world with the gospel, we say, that we've invited the world into the church. Certainly in the last 50 years with the seeker-sensitive movement, that we've been so anxious to make the unbeliever welcome in the church that we've lowered our standards. We've lowered, we've actually invited the unbeliever to come into the church and not hear the gospel. Let me say that again. What we've done in the seeker-sensitive movement, especially in the Southern Baptist Conference, is to invite the unbeliever into our church and to so dumb down our preaching, so become so dismissive of the gospel in our preaching, 
for fear that someone might not understand or someone might be offended or they won't come back again, that we've invited them to be, remain unbelievers. We've invited them to not hear the gospel. Come on to our church. Be here. Join us at 11 on Sunday. You're welcome here. All these signs we see out in front of churches. And then you go in there and you, you're inviting people simply not to hear the gospel. And what are you going to get after 50 years? You're going to get a whole denomination of people who are professing evangelicals who have no idea what the gospel is. And in their character and their behavior and in their values, they look just like what Paul described here. A powerless organization pretending to be a church. On the other hand, Paul is emphasizing here that he wants us to understand the power. What is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe? as displayed in the exercises of his, of his, God's, immense strength. That power is resurrection power. God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. Down in chapter 2, verse 4, begin with verse 4, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses and and so on, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Part of your inheritance in Christ is that you were raised with Christ. You can be a certain, you can have the hope of eternal life, not because of any good thing that you are doing or have done, but because you're in him who has been raised. Because Christ has been raised, you are certain because you're in him of resurrection to life. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, we read, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you are in union with Christ, you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears. Now see, this is the problem too. Most Christians don't realize that he, the risen Christ, is your life. I know it's easy to get caught up in issues of family and t raising kids and working out your marriage and dealing with the boss at work and trying to get some foothold in a career. I know all those things happen. All the distractions occur. But what happens, the consequences, if we get too obsessed about those things, is that we forget that Christ himself is your life. Becoming like him is the source of your hope, the source of your true wealth and the access that you have, and the power that's at work in you to enable you to do that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So rejoice. Paul's prayer for you is here, is that you would have hope, you would realize the wealth of your inheritance in Christ, you are a joint heir with Jesus, 
in the power that's at work in you to enable you to walk in those things. This power he exercised in Christ, verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, where you are now, too, positionally, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body. Now listen to this. The fullness of him who fills all in all. God has sent his son into the world that you might have life. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd and that you might have that life more abundantly. So don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't to be hesitant to understand who you are in Christ. To embrace the hope and the wealth and the power that God has given you in his Son. The inheritance that you have because you are in union with his Son. And don't fear being misunderstood. I recognize, again, that the health and wealth and prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement have just butchered the gospel to the point where who would want to even appear to be identified with that craziness? But don't let that rob you. Don't let them rob you of who you are in Christ. You can enjoy the hope and the wealth and the power that is yours in Christ. And you can even maybe have an opportunity to share with someone that who you are in Christ has nothing to do with the health and wealth and prosperity heresy. It has everything to do with what the Bible says you are and who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen.